Good morning, Sojourn. Wow, you guys clapped. That's, that's incredible. Um, I'm, once again, my name is Thomas. I am uh, here with my, my wife. Uh, her name is Saibra. I'm here with my three girls, uh, Brianna, Marissa, and Genesis. Um, the reason why I, I yeah. The reason why I get, ex- the reason why I, I smile when I, when I say my wife's name is not because of the uniqueness of my wife's name, is because she's my wife. <laughs> and she's here, and um, that's in- incredible. And she's also beautiful and smart and intelligent, so I'm grateful to have my family here with me. Um, man, at the end of the day, I'm, I, I, I grew up in the church. Um, I'm a, I'm a church boy at heart, and the the thing about that is I, I moved a lot, and the the one time, the times that I felt most at home is when I was around God's people, when I was at his church, and I was surrounded by his people, because the cool thing about that is when you move around a lot, and you're a follower of Jesus, and you love Jesus, that um, you're oftentimes separated from your regular family, but man, uh, how good and sweet it is to be around your family in Christ. Um, our, our, our blood and our bond is way thicker than any uh, f- uh, um, familial family that we have. And so I say all that to say because I, I, I love being around you guys. I just met you guys, but I love being around you because the uh, Christ's presence dwells here, and you are my kinfolk, so thank you for having me. Um, um, we're, we're planning a church. And I am asking that you would really consider just regularly pray for us, pray for our family, pray for me. Uh, Not too long ago, you guys opened your doors for the first time. And so you know all of the, 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 the struggle and the joy and the beauty and messiness of planting a church. Uh, you know all of the resources, you know all of the uh, p- manpower and all of the, the necessity of the power of the Holy Spirit that, is, that goes into planting a church. And so because of that, I think you are more than qualified to pray for us. Um, and so will you take that qualification, that experience, that power, that knowledge that you have, and would you just go before the throne of grace for our behalf? On a, whenever you think about us, would you pray for Harbor Hill Church and would you pray for my family? All right. So with that being said, uh, let's go before uh, 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 Jesus one more time and ask for his help. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Father in heaven, we are so grateful to come before you today because this is a special time. This is the time where we get to hear you speak as a family. And we've uh, got, a t- got time throughout the week just to um, tuck some time away to get my word and to pray. But man, this is special because this is the family gathered together to hear your word, to hear your voice. And so, Father, I pray that we take full advantage that you would captivate our hearts and our attention and our minds in this very moment that it will be all about you and the sound of your voice and that we would be focused on you and you alone and that we would hear you speak. Will you allow our minds to understand these words? Will you soften our hearts to believe? Will you equip us 
with the power to be obedient to what we hear. And will you give us a passion and boldness to proclaim it um, outside of these doors until your son Jesus returns? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Will you uh, join me in Second uh, Peter chapter, chapter 1? So the way I do it is I just kind of just op- flip to the back of the Bible. And you'll start to see Ephesians, Philippians. You'll get to 2 Timothy and you'll see Hebrews. You get to 1 John, you went too far. And then there's, there's a 1 Peter. That was, that was one letter that he's already written. And then we come to his second letter, 2 Peter. And you can, we can meet up in chapter 1, verse 16. So while you join me there, one of our favorite books as a family is called The Light Links. Uh, our kids love it. I don't know if you've read this book, but it tells the story of redemption through allegory, uh, allegorical tale about a king of light uh, who made these beings called the lightlings. And everything is going well, and he puts these lightning, lightlings in a garden, and all is good. All is beautiful. All is amazing. So I'm trying to figure, do you, am, I, am I doing something wrong? Oh, no, he's counting. Sorry. <laughs> I thought he was telling me to move. <laughs> okay, perfect. Um, and he, he makes these beings called the lightlings. And all everything is going well in the garden up until the lightlings decide that they, they want to disobey their creator. And then at that moment, everything goes incredibly wrong. And so one day, the king of light, the king of light who made these uh, lightlings, um, comes to visit his creatures. And they see the king of light coming, and, and filled with shame and filled with guilt, they run. They run away into the forest, and they separate themselves from the king of light. And the further and further they go, the further and further the, the, the light from the king of light is removed, and it just becomes darker and darker and darker until they dwell in complete and utter darkness. And as you can imagine, when you're dwelling in darkness, everything that could possibly go wrong goes wrong. Um, everything, nothing, very little can survive and dwell and thrive in dark, in darkness. So flowers die and these thorns and these weeds, they begin to creep up and everything is going completely wrong and people are bumping into each other and people are hurting each other and people are sad and people are just filled with gloom and, and depression and anger and frustration until one day a family, a father and a mother, lightning, give birth to a baby lightning. And when this baby is born, this baby is filled with light. And all, of course, everyone, all of these lightnings are now drawn to this baby. They want to know what's happening. They want to know how did this happen. They're looking to the father, and the father said, don't look to me. This is, this is not from me. This is, this is a gift from the king of light to us. And so everybody who draws closer and closer to this baby, who, 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 who clings to this, this light, begin to now inhabit the same light. And when they go, when they tell people about this, this, this light, this new light, it not only shines through them, but it, it also shines to the people around them. And so now, once again, the lightlings are now enabled to not just inhabit this light, but they're now able to have this light within them that is projected through them because of this new light that has been born. And maybe... We might better understand it if we turn to Exodus chapter 10. In Exodus chapter 10, 
Moses, Moses is, is going before the, 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 the ruler of Egypt one more time, and he's, he's asking this ruler, this Pharaoh, to once again let him and his people go. And, and, and this ruler denies them again. And so God does something incredible. He now, because of the, the, the hardness of Pharaoh's heart, because of the fact that he will not allow his people to go free, God causes darkness to dwell in Egypt for three days. And this is, this is incredible because God is, not just, uh, God is not just trying to prove a point. God is trying to show that he is the one true God. He is God Almighty. And as a result, he now causes entire Egypt to dwell in darkness for three days. And the Bible says clearly in Exodus 10, it puts it this way. He says that they were in darkness and that they did not move. They did not move from the place that they were. Basically what they did was they found the safest place they could go and they just sat there for three days. And so all of the things that happen that your imagination will allow to happen when somebody just sits in one place for three days happen. You imagine just how unsanitary it is, how frustrating it is, because you just don't know when light will occur. But something amazing happened. While Egypt was dwelling in light, it says that God's people, while, while Egypt was dwelling in darkness, God's people were dwelling in, in light. And that's incredible because f- for us to understand what is happening is while those who are hearts are hardened from God, while those hearts, people who are rebellious to God are constantly finding themselves in the dark, are constantly finding themselves separated from God, while those who draw close to God, those who are obedient to God's authority, those who who surrender to God's will, those are the ones who, who dwell in the light. And I think that's important for us today because it, 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 kind of, it kind of finds us where we are in today's passage. Peter, Peter wanted the people to understand that when the people dwell in the presence of God, on the authority of God, they experience the light of God. And I think that's important for us today because it, it proves to us and helps us understand this very truth. But in this particular case, we find that the authority and light of God is in his word. And as many of you have already discovered, we live in a very dark world filled with pain and suffering and hate and sinful people. But in the darkness, God has given us hope in his son Jesus, the light of the world, the one who was promised in the Old Testament and then the one who fulfills his promise in the New Testament. And I think that gets to the heart of today's message. And so if you love taking notes, you can write this down as our main point. Soldier in Fairfax, in order... for us, for you, to have light in this dark world, we must pay attention to God's word until Jesus returns. In order to have light in this dark world, we must pay attention to God's uh, word until Jesus returns. And, that, and, for, and this is two reasons, and I think we'll find this in the text. One, because at the center of God's word is Jesus the living word. And then two, because its nature is the very voice of God carried by the Holy Spirit, our written word. So let's look at the first sub point. At the center of God's word is 
Jesus Christ, the living word. Join me in verse 16. It says this. For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is important because Peter is dying. As Peter is writing this letter, he's come to the reality that he's not just coming to the end of his his, his ministry, but he is basically coming to the end of his, his, his life. And when, when, when someone like Peter, or whether it's a, a person who's lived a long life and who has a family or son or daughter or grandchildren, you want to pass on some, some, some passing knowledge that they could keep and hold and carry on with them. And that's the same for Peter. Peter wants the people to know something that's incredibly important. And if he can just say one thing, that one thing is this, that he believes that in order for us to continue on, the only for us to grow in godliness, the only way for us to uh, continue to survive in this world is if we pay attention to God's word. Even though Peter has all all these things happening around the church, the only thing that Peter is concerned with is the growth of the church, the spiritual maturity of the church, the the endurance of God's people. And he says, if if I could only pass on anything to you, it's continue to strive in godliness, continue to pursue holiness. And one of the reasons that this is becoming incredibly difficult for the people that Peter is talking to is because of the, the, the voices that are happening, that are popping up around the church. You see, all these false teachers are starting to pop up. And these false teachers are trying to basically stir, uh, stir the church away from uh, following God's word. And several things have begun to creep up. And, min- and one of them in particular is these false teachers are saying to the churches, I don't know about this Jesus guy. I, I, I'm not sure. I don't, I, I don't think that he is who you think he is. I don't think he did what you really think he did. I don't, I don't, I don't think that, uh, um, that you guys are interpreting the Old Testament correctly, that Jesus uh, resurrected from the dead and that uh, Jesus will one day return. I think that's just a silly myth that the apostles made up to try to control you, to try to keep you from enjoying your freedoms, to try to keep you from enjoying the, the, what is really the good life, to be able to do what you want, when you want, how you want. I think they just told you that to try to control you. And so Peter, Peter responds in verse 16. He says that, uh, 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 for we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus. And this is, this is important because when Peter, you can take that idea of cleverly devised myths in a couple of ways. And one, you can look at it as a, uh, a folktale, kind of a kind of a. a f- a fable that we use to tell our kids or that we even use to read ourselves that at the end of it, it has this really important, wise truth to it that we can apply to our lives, kind of like a parable, right? Or you can take it as simply a, just a fictional story uh, that, we can, that we just made up for our own entertainment, 
or to try to manipulate or lie so that we can get people to do what we want them to do. I guarantee you these false teachers are referring to the latter. They're trying to communicate to, not only are they calling into question uh, uh, the, the, uh, the, uh, the apostles' authority, but they're, also, they're calling into question the very word of God itself. And they're saying that as the apostles have interpreted it, as they have uh, come to these conclusions, uh, their teaching to you is a myth. It's a, it's, a, it's a lie. It's a story that they made up just to keep control over you. And so that's why when we get to verse 16, Peter says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter says that the apostolic teaching that both he and his brothers proclaimed was not a myth, but was rooted in history. He says, how can it be a myth? We witnessed Jesus's power and majesty with our very own eyes. The event Peter is talking about, the event that he uh, says he was eyewitness to was what we call the transfiguration of Jesus. It's recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's a, a historical moment in time where Jesus took Peter, James, and John to a secluded mountain and allowed them to see with their own eyes a short trailer of what was to come. Listen to how Peter describes it. Uh, he says in verse 17 and 18, For when, when, when he received honor and glory from God the Father... And the voice was born to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice born from heaven, for we were with him on the holy mountain. Peter says, I saw it with my own eyes and I heard it with my own ears. Jesus, as Matthew 17 puts it, was shining like a sun and his clothes became white as light. Then God the Father, the majestic, the glory, declared with his divine voice his deep pleasure with the Son, and Jesus received honor and glory from the Father. Majesty here simply means divine. It is the same majesty that Peter ascribes to Jesus in verse 16. Peter is implying that the majesty of the one and only God was shared by his Son. That in that moment, what he was witnessing with his own, uh, own eyes was the unveiling of Jesus as God. Jesus was not just a man, but the Son of God. He was fully man and fully God, arrayed in power and majesty and glory. It's one of those beautiful, complex truths that can be hard to understand, but it, it must be either completely true or completely a lie. Because in one sense, if he is not fully man, his sacrifice is insufficient to rescue us from the bond of sin. And if he's not fully God, his sacrifice for our sin is impossible. Or I should say, if he, uh, if he is only fully God, his sacrifice for our sin is impossible because God cannot die. And we needed a sacrifice 
uh, that was sufficient, not only that would atone for our sins, but by dying on the cross and taking on all of our sin in the full wrath of God, but would resurrect from the dead, as the scriptures say, the power and would, would resurrect him from the dead and it would defeat sin, it would defeat death. And as Genesis 3 say, he would crush the head of Satan. And so although it's very difficult uh, and complex and beautiful to understand that Jesus was both fully God and fully man, it has to be either true or completely false. And so uh, um, God cannot be put to God cannot be put to death as fully God, but as fully God and fully man, uh, uh, he can be and he can resurrect. And we can hold to that truth and that doctrine as, as, as real. Jesus has to be both fully God and fully man. That is what Peter witnessed on the mountain. And so the question for us is if we remember, uh, Peter is responding to the objections of these false teachers. And so the question for us today is, why in the world would Peter use this as his, as his opportunity to prove that the, that the prophetic word is true and that the testimony and the authority of the apostolic teaching is, is authentically true? Why would he use the transfiguration of Jesus to prove that? Because in that moment, Peter got a glimpse of Jesus' power. In that moment, Peter got a glimpse of Jesus' glory. He saw Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. That, that moment affirmed the prophetic word to be true. All of the Old Testament had been pointing to Jesus the whole time. You see, Jesus was at the, at the center of all of it. It had been anticipating his ri- arrival as the promised Savior. Don't miss this. Don't sleep on this reality. Peter can point to the transfiguration as proof that the word of God is true because Jesus is at the center of it. It's all been pointing to him. It's the promise of a Messiah. It's all been about him. The promise of a prophet who would proclaim an end to sin. The promise of a better priest who would, who would be a perfect sacrifice for our sin. The promise of a king who would rule justly over his kingdom. Jesus was and is at the center of all of it. And that same power and that same glory that was on display at the transfiguration will one day be on display when Jesus returns. And so, church, we can grab hold to this true, this, 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 this teaching, this thought, this doctrine as truth. Jesus, our Savior, is at the center of God's word, and he is filled with power and glory. And one day, that same power and glory will be on display when he returns. Listen to how Luke describes Jesus' return. He says this in Luke 20, and in, 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 towards the end of Luke, he says this, And there will be signs in the sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. Verse 26, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then at verse 27, he says this, And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud 
with power and great glory. The word of God is true, and at the center of it is Jesus. God the Son, whose power and glory was on display in the mountain, will be in full effect when Jesus returns. And when he, and when he comes, the dead will rise. And he will judge all of creation as king. And he will defeat Satan. And those, who spend, and those who have trusted him on earth will spend eternity with him in heaven. Can you imagine this? Can you imagine this event? We will one day, the whole entire universe will see Jesus return and power and glory. Can you imagine Hitler seeing Jesus return? Can you imagine? Can you imagine Satan seeing Jesus return? Can you imagine the look on their face when all of the people for throughout all of time who doubted the reality of Jesus, who doubted the historicity of Jesus, who doubted that Jesus was the Savior of men when he descends on a cloud, when he returns for his people? Can you imagine what it would be like for his people? The hope that we have been putting our, in for all of our Christian life when we get to stand together as the, as the universal church and see Jesus' glory on full display, man, that doesn't do something for your heart. I don't know what does. That doesn't get your affection stirred up, that one day Jesus is going to return, that this is not it, that something beautiful and more glorious is in store for us. Thank you. Thank you. You hate to ask for it, but it's good when you get it. <laughs> All right. So how should we respond to this truth? Go with me to verse 19 to 21. And we have this prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. The prophetic word of Scripture is made, made more sure by the transfiguration. For the transfiguration confirms the proper interpretation of the Old Testament Scripture. That is, that there is a future coming of Christ for judgment and salvation. If it wasn't confirmed before, it is now. And Peter's counsel is what? What does he tell us to do? He says, pay attention. He says, you to which you will do well to pay attention. And this is, this, is, this is the main point of what Peter is getting at. And also at the same time, I think this is where uh, our English language kind of fails us a little bit. Because I think all of us have our own ideas of what paying attention might look like. And especially if you grew up in the church or if you grew up anywhere near the Bible Belt, pay attention for you might mean uh, not falling asleep. In church. Thank you for not doing that. <laughs> Paying attention might mean uh, 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 adding the Bible to your to-do list uh, to read through for a year, maybe. Uh, paying attention might mean for you tithing. Paying attention might mean a podcast. Paying attention might mean writing notes that you uh, uh, may never read. I'm not saying, please listen to me. I'm not saying that any of those things are bad. What I am saying, though, is I think 
Peter is getting to something a little bit more deeper. When Peter says, pay attention to the word of God, he is not just saying, read it. He's saying, meditate on it. He's saying, don't just add it to a list. Hide it in your heart. Don't just use it for inspiration here and there. Stand on it as your anchor. Don't just tweet it. Kill sin with it. He's saying, uh, memorize it. Daydream about it. Devour it. Pray it. Proclaim it. When so when Peter says, pay attention to it, it's not just something that he's saying do in passing. He's saying, do, so make it your whole life about this because it's that important. It's that necessary. It's that crucial for your growth. It's that crucial for your survival. It's that crucial for your, your salvation. Why? Because as he has already said, uh, uh, it is a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Church, as many of you have already figured out, some of you are starting to figure out, the world is a very dark place. There is no safer place than in the safety and security of the light that we find in God's word. Run to it, cling to it, live it, stay there until Jesus returns. If you are a follower of Jesus, one of Satan's greatest tools is to pull you away from God's word, to numb your ears to God's voice, because in it you will be reminded of who you were. In God's word, you will be reminded of who you have become in Christ, and you will be reminded of the responsibility that you have in Christ. You will find your story there. You will find his story of redemption there. There you will find your identity. You will find God in the face of Jesus. It is a fulfillment of God's promise to to send a rescuer. It's It's a reminder that Jesus crushes the head of the serpent. It's our hope that this dark world is not our home, that Jesus has gone to prepare a place for us. So one of the tools that Satan uses is to keep us from his word. And when he does that, the further and further away we get, the further and further we begin to forget that this is not our home. And so as a result, I'm convinced that many people truly don't believe that Jesus is coming back. They can't be convinced. There's no way they're convinced. Look at how we live our lives. Look at how we spend our money. If Jesus is coming back, we are telling everybody. If we believe that one day Jesus will descend from the heavens in a cloud of glory and power and might and trumpets will sound and people will be judged and people will be sent to eternity of, of, of suffering for forever and some will spend eternity with the Father forever. If we believe that, if we believe that, not only will we cling to this word, but we would tell everybody about it. And the reason why we sometimes struggle and that we sometimes forget that that is true is because we are so separated from the truth of the light. We are so separated from God's word. We are so separated from the nourishment that God's word provides and the truth in it. And so he says, 
pay attention. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you don't know him as God, if you don't know him as your Savior, as your Messiah, as your King, you doubt the Word of God, you struggle to, under, to, to believe that there was a Jesus, fully God and fully man, and you struggle to believe that this Word is true, that is your, your, your mind today, I beg you, all I ask is that you read it. It will not cost you a thing. That you will find someone in this church who is a follower of Jesus and you will ask them, hey, will you read this with me? Will you walk with me through this? Just grab the book of 1 John or grab any book. It all talks about Jesus. Open it up and just read it. And spend time reflecting on it. And I, I, I don't know what God will do, but I do know that you will not come to believe it's true if you don't hear it, if you don't listen to it, if you don't read it, if you don't spend time in it. And so I beg you, just today, if you don't believe it's true, grab a Bible. They're free. They're all over the place. Grab one. Go home. Go to a coffee shop. Go with a friend and open it up and read it. And I pray that God will illuminate your heart and that he will illuminate your mind so that you can believe. Well, he says pay attention because Jesus is at the center of it. And at the center of it, it's important because Jesus saves sinners. But also, he says, pay attention to it in a dark world because its very nature is the voice of God carried by the Spirit of God. It is the written word of God. Go with me back to verse 20. He says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Verse 21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. I personally believe that the enemy is losing his mind right now because you just read this verse, because your eyes just laid uh, it, uh, sight of this verse. Uh, I think he doesn't want you to hear it. I think the enemy doesn't want you to understand it. He has done everything in his power to keep you from it. And today we have victory because I mean, God in his providence allowed you to hear it. And the reason why is because it's one of those game-changing verses. It's one of those uh, corner pieces of Scripture uh, that when you are able to fit this piece into the corner, all of the other pieces start to fall into to place. Peter's first response to the, uh, to the, to in this verse is, he says this, No way this is a myth. Jesus' very existence proves it. But then he says, second, because these are not the prophet's own words. Our teaching is not under our own authority and power, but they are the very words of God. So another scheme of the enemy is to get people to second-guess God's word. We see it in the garden. We see it in Genesis 3 where, where the enemy creeps into the garden and he says, and did God really say? And see, the, here's the thing about the enemy and Satan and 
He doesn't have any new tricks. He's been using the same tricks since the garden. And he's using those tricks to us today. Did God really say? Did God really say that uh, we should hide the word in our heart? Did God really say you should love your neighbor? Did God say that was actually the true definition of marriage? Did God really say that all human beings are made in his image? You see how that works? Does all human beings have dignity? Did God really say that? And now we're coming to a season where we will be bombarded with articles and documentaries and commentary all the way up to Easter that will be challenging the very word of God. You've seen the documentaries. You've seen the cover of the magazines. Is Jesus real? They'll, they'll pull out the shroud uh, or they'll pull out the, they'll pull out the, you'll start to see the movies. You'll start to see all of these things. All of these things are challenging Did God really say? Is the word of God really true? Peter says, first of all, I love this. I love his tone here. First of all, this is the this is the pull out his sword and cut off the ear, Peter, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. Peter says, I I did not make this up. Neither did the prophets make this up. We're not that good. We're not that humble. When you guys look at the Old Testament, it's filled with just a bunch of clumsy idol worshipers. It's filled with murderers. It's filled with people who failed continuously, but these same people were called children of God. Moses, for example. We love Moses. Let my people go, Moses. But this is also the same Moses that thought that it was a good idea to murder someone to get in God's good favor. Then David, we love David. Kill giant with three stone David. We love him, but this is the same David who, who, who murdered a man to hide his sin of adultery. And we don't have to go too much further. Look in Judges, look in Kings. It's just filled with story after story where men commit the most heinous, evil acts, where men constantly get it wrong. There's no way we would write that story. But it's there. Peter said 60, uh, well, for us, 66 books all spanning over 4,000 years, written by 35 authors, all telling one redemptive story. As my 10th grade English teacher told me, you did not write this. Right? That's what, she, she was right. Peter is saying the word of God is trustworthy because men did not write it alone nor interpret it alone under our own authority. How do we know this? Verse 21, for no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke it from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. The very definition of prophecy is a divine work and cannot be attributed to the ingenuity of or the gifts of human beings. Prophecy comes from God himself. Men spoke from God. Human beings spoke with their own words, with their own personalities, and their own literary style. But the words 
of the prophets. However, ultimately the words came from God. They were inspired, or as the text says, uh, it was, they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Hence, Peter is defending the accuracy of the prophecies in the Scripture. Peter is defending the Old Testament by claiming, I'm just not good enough to write this. The prophets were not good enough to, to write this. The verb carry is used twice in this verse, and the verb is also used twice in verse 17 through 18. It gives us this image of a ship or a sail being carried along by the wind. Now, I'm, I, don't, I don't necessarily believe that uh, we can press this analogy into the prophets being carried as ships, as sails caught up by the wind, but the word certainly conveys the idea that the prophets were inspired by the Holy Spirit. Peter, of course, referred only to the prophets here, but by extension, we, are, we, are, we can be justified to believe that he's not, this isn't just including the Old Testament, but this also includes the New Testament. That the very words of the prophets and, and, the, where, and the, the fulfillment of it in the New Testament and the interpretation that we find in the New Testament isn't just our own, isn't, isn't our own words. Because, man, if we had it our way, salvation would not come by faith alone and Christ alone. We would, we would have it so that the best of the best would, if you could complete this challenge like, like a ninja, American ninja, if you could just, if you can get through this obstacle course, you're the one. You've made it. You figured it out. And then we would have it in our way where we can then begin to assign who gets saved and who doesn't. Jesus, the, 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 like we're just not good enough to write this. And so it is either God's word or it's nothing. It is either true or it is not. But I did not make this up. I'm not good enough to do that. This came from the very mind of God. And so, as we close, for many of you, you're finding it, you find yourself in a place where, man, I want to believe. I want to believe this to be true. But man, my skeptical mind, my skeptical mind is keeping me from doing that. I would say to you that the idea, the very idea that you desire to believe is a small glimmer of light. It's a small glimmer of grace that God has given you. Do not run from that light. Do not hide away from it, but run to it. Once again, find someone here today that you can uh, begin to understand this very, the very word of God, that you can begin to understand it. And I pray that God will soften your heart. And I pray that God will illuminate your heart in such a way that you will believe. Because if this word is true, if this word of God is true, then the prophets were, was right. Jesus' arrival, death, and resurrection proves it, and he is returning. If all of this is true, we must pay attention. It is our light in a dark world. And as we saw in verse 19, it's not only a light that reveals the truth, 
that same truth and knowledge is what illuminates our dark hearts. It's what brings light to the darkness that is within all of us. And so, if you do believe this word to be true, and you're finding it very difficult in this season to open it up, you're finding it very difficult in this season just to get the reverse, don't quit. Continue to just read that one verse. Continue to pursue it. Continue to cling to it. Continue to pay attention to it. Because it is that very light that will allow us to be able to free us from the difficulty of actually enjoying the Bible. That's one of the beautiful things about God's Word, is the difficult, the getting over the difficult aspect of reading God's Word is reading God's Word. Crazy how God worked that out, right? Because Satan is saying, don't read. It's too difficult. You don't like what it's saying. Don't read. And Father's saying, no, run to it, cling to it. It is your hope. It is your salvation. It is your anchor. So I charge you today, just like Peter did, in order to have light in this dark world, we must pay attention to God's word until Jesus returns because Jesus is at the center of it and because it is the very word of God. Let's pray. Father, if I, if I said anything that was um, unhelpful, I pray that, that, that people will leave it by the wayside and that you will uh, use your word to uh, spring about new life in, in, in the hearts of this church. That Peter's letter to encourage the church to grow and that the way we grow is by paying attention to your word will not fall away. That it will, that it will rejuvenate us, that it will stir us up, that it will get us excited to read it, to learn it, to understand it, to cling to it, to proclaim it, to hide it in our hearts, to devour it. And not because um, some guy that they never met standing, stood in front of them and said to, but because your very word is the light in a dark world. I pray that we can hold on to it until your son Jesus returns. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.